And a hearty welcome to one and all. This is episode 98 of the Confessions of a Not-So-Dangerous-Mind podcast. I'd like to thank you all for spending some of your Saturday late afternoon into early evening with me. If you're catching this episode on the YouTube channel and haven't done so already, enjoying the content, of course, don't forget to click like, subscribe, comment, turn on those notifications. Or if you're catching up with this episode on the audio platforms such as Spotify or iTunes, same general rule applies. Click like, subscribe, turn on those notifications. So since I began a new series yesterday, I wanted to keep the fires burning. And the new series was, in my opinion, most underrated performances. And in many instances, they're going to be movies which are very well regarded. It could be old movies. It could be of more recent vintage. But where a main performance could be a main supporting performance, but a main performance in the film gets overlooked, has been overlooked by history in the form of maybe no awards nominations, and I don't just mean Oscars, or just in general, where maybe the person who did the exemplary work is overshadowed by a more famous or more well-renowned co-star. And today, I'm going to talk about one of my favorite people who ever worked in the movie business, who unfortunately has been gone since I was in sixth grade, and that would be Archie Leach. Now, before you say, who the fuck is Archie Leach? Archie Leach is Cary Grant. And Cary Grant is probably the greatest star that Hollywood's ever had. He did everything so well, it was expected that he was always going to do everything so well. He looked exactly right. He spoke exactly right. He had perfect features, the perfect hair, the perfect smile, the debonair charm. Cary Grant could do and did it all. Started in screwball comedies, moved on to dramas, back and forth between comedies and dramas, and some of the greatest films ever made. He was only nominated for two Oscars, and both movies are kind of forgettable. And I dare I say, I have not seen either of his two Oscar nominations. Penny Serenade in 1941, working with one of his old pals, a phenomenal in her own right, Irene Dunn. And um, None But the Lonely Heart, 1944. Now, off the top of my head, I can give you four movies that he should have gotten an Oscar nomination, going in reverse order, that he wasn't nominated for probably supporting actor for Charade, opposite Audrey Hepburn, is outrageous, impossible, but typical from his career, and um, roll all the way back to 1940, The Philadelphia Story, a movie he shares the screen with another two pair, uh, excuse me, two legends, Catherine Hepburn and James Stewart. James Stewart who walked away with the Best Actor Oscar. That's Cary Grant's film. Cary Grant is running shit in The Philadelphia Story. He's running point in that movie. And he is dynamite. Somehow, no nomination, no massive acclaim. And then two years before that, the best screwball comedy ever made, Carrie authors one of the finest comedic performances in the history of cinema. Again, come at me, bro. Tell me I'm wrong. Watch Bringing Up Baby, where Cary Grant is up against the very formidable Katherine Hepburn. And he just basically 
not only walks away with the movie, you forget that it's Katherine Hepburn. He's so good in every scene, in that instance, playing the opposite of what you expect. Rather than the suave, debonair, always has the answer, killer, ladies' man type guy, he's a bumbling moron. Well, a high IQ moron, but he can't get out of his own way. Doesn't even sound like Cary Grant. Leave it to in a minute, Mr. Peabody! But the most egregious overlook, the most egregious mistake made by the Motion Picture Academy, that Cary Grant was not nominated for his portrayal of, well, who is he? Roger O. Thornhill? Or is he George Kaplan? In Alfred Hitchcock's most entertaining film that he ever made, I think many people, Hitchcock scholars would agree with this point. If you want to say that it's his best movie, I don't really give a shit. In this instance, best and favorite, I don't care. You know, I, I'm one of the, because I am a film historian, theoretician, I studied all of this stuff, for better or worse. Um, if you ask me what I think Alfred Hitchcock's best film, I'm supposed to say Vertigo. I, I mean, I respect Vertigo, and if you want to ar me to make the argument as to why it's one of the greatest films ever made, I can. But in the same manner of Citizen Kane, try to imagine how many times somebody like me has seen the movie Citizen Kane. A lot. Like, a lot, a lot. Wrote papers on it, studied it, watched certain scenes dozens of times. I don't enjoy Citizen Kane. I find it to be a difficult watch. I find Vertigo to be a difficult watch because it is the most fucked up movie. And Alfred Hitchcock was the, you know, the dark side of genius. Like he was a bit of an evil genius personality. Funny guy, you know, he was funny, cute on TV, little roly-poly guy waddling around. It's great. He was a very twisted individual. And Vertigo, he just sort of threw all of that, all of that shit onto the screen. There's so much to unpack there, as they say. But I don't, I don't unabashedly love Vertigo. It's a very difficult movie. It's brilliant, but it is not an easy watch. And that's why anybody who would dismiss Hitchcock and say, well, he made light thrillers and light heart. No, he didn't. Don't, don't. You want to impugn his memory by saying he was a scumbag, we can have a debate as to whether he really was a bad guy or not. But he didn't make light comedies, light thrillers, light horror films. No, he didn't. He made some movies like that, one of which you could argue was North by Northwest. But no, Rear Window, fucked up. Psycho, really fucked up. Vertigo, even more fucked up. Hell, Strangers on a Train, fucked up. Trouble with Harry, fucked up. Anyway, in North by Northwest, a movie which was made at a time where Cary Grant was actively contemplating retirement and possibly had already retired a couple of times. He didn't really need to work anymore. As he got into his 50s, he had enough money. Maybe he wanted to travel the world. Maybe he wanted to do what he ended up doing, which was get married and maybe start a family. In North by Northwest, Cary Grant plays a New York City advertising executive, kind of a madman before madman. He's that sort of guy, nicer, you know, than the character John Hamm, for example, plays on the TV show Mad Men. But he's just a well-off, twice divorced, not a father, no judgment, but he's been married twice. He doesn't have kids of his own. His mom kind of runs his life. Jesse Royce Landis, a terrific actress, as the mom, you know, the joke now is that she and Carrie were so close in age, it was more like brother and sister. And you can argue that. 
I mean, Carrie looks older than her. That's, you know, that's Hollywood for you, right? But Carrie plays a New York advertising executive who gets mistaken for a spy, for an FBI, CIA, alphabet soup operative. And the movie unfolds from there. What he does in the role, if you just focus on his performance and the mechanics of what he does as an actor, the subtle shift in the way that he addresses other characters, in facial expression, the directness of his delivery as far as his mind readings. This is not a movie star giving a movie star performance. And in many quarters, it is given to be that. Because from a certain point of view, it's Cary Grant doing his best Cary Grant. And I've said that, and that is true. But it does not diminish what Cary Grant, doing Cary Grant in this particular role, is able to do. Because he encompasses everything that I've said, his skill at screwball comedy, the lady killer aspect, his ability to switch between comedy and drama, often in the same role. He does it the entire way in this movie. First, he's the guy who is mistaken for a spy. And no matter what he says, what proof he might produce, nobody believes him when he says, what the fuck is wrong with you people? My name's Roger Thornhill. I've got two ex-wives and several bartenders who were dependent upon me. I am not George Kaplan. Hell, I know George. I've been in George Kaplan's hotel room. The man's got short sleeves and dandruff. I can't fit into his fucking suits. I'm not Kaplan. Oh, Mr. Kaplan. James Mason, another extraordinary actor, as the kind of bad guy in North by Northwest. His line readings are extraordinary. Now you're the peevish lover stung by jealousy. The only role you'll be interested in is when I play dead. Your very next performance will be quite convincing. But as the story unfolds, you have a guy who doesn't give a shit about much. He's a bit of a, presented as kind of a clown early in the film. He just is sort of lazily making his way through life, going for martini lunches, taking meetings with other big shots, he has a secretary, he kind of pushes her around in you know, a nice enough way, stealing cabs from people, making up bullshit stories. You know, it's what we imagine a Manhattan advertising exec of that particular era would be. And then he's backpedaling and trying to understand why won't anybody listen to me? I am not this guy. But there's a moment in this movie, in North by Northwest, where he realizes he can't trust anybody. Everybody is full of shit. And without coming out and saying, puffing out his chest and saying, I'm mad, I am angry, girl, I'm going to get these motherfuckers. His body language begins to shift. The way that he addresses the other characters begins to shift. And he begins to act as if he is and has been the spy, this apparent globetrotting super spy named George Kaplan all along. And that he kind of kept the fiction of, well, I'm actually Roger Thornhill. He kept it going as long as he could, and now all cards are on the table. Fuck all y'all. I am George Kaplan, and if you don't watch it, you're threatening me? It's like De Niro in the movie Heat. Let's say you do got me boxed, and I got to put you down, because I will not hesitate, not for a second. 
and the moments where Cary Grant, who has spent most of the movie on the run, getting pushed around, lied to, threatened by everybody. The title, North by Northwest, is a literal title. He is chased across the United States by not just bad guys, or as Tom Cruise would say, bad guys, worse guys, even worse guys. He gets chased by the good guys. He doesn't even know who the good guys are. I guess he's a good guy if he's a, a super spy working for the government, but he doesn't even know that. But at a certain point, he stops playing defense, and he goes on the attack. And it is a thing of beauty to watch this massively talented actor rise and stop backpedaling and stop taking shit from everybody and start dishing it out, start making threats. And there are scenes in the movie where you can tell that James Mason, who, yeah, we don't know what he thought of Cary Grant, but you could see James Mason matching Cary Grant's energy. Specifically, there's a scene at what's supposed to be near Mount Rushmore. Mason's performance is, imma is immaculate in that scene, as is Cary's. Some of his scenes with Eva Marie Saint. What I would argue is the single best line reading of Cary Grant's entire career. It's when his character has decided to, start, to stop fucking around. So no matter what I do, nobody listens to me. I'm just going to go to the police. You think you're going to take a shot at me? I'm right here. He goes to a public place and does screwball comedy shit within this scene where he thinks, okay, they're going to try to bump me off. Fuck them. And he takes over an art auction, and it is one of the funniest scenes in the 1950s. It's arguably the funniest scene in all of Hitchcock, where he begins bidding on artwork, even though he's about to be bumped off by the bad guys and maybe taken into custody by the FBI or the CIA or the OSI or somebody or maybe just the cops. And he walks in and dominates this scene. But before that, he has a moment with James Mason as the bad guy and Martin Landau, great, the late great Oscar-winning actor Martin Landau as James Mason's henchman, essentially. Landau was so young, so slender, and as Leonard is the name of the character, so intense, super intense. Martin Landau, who 40 years later plays Professor Petrovsky, Matt Damon's savior in the movie Rounders, but here he is as a young man. Dynamite. The eye contact that he makes with the characters. Wow. What a great actor he was. In this scene, Carrie is confronting all three of them. He knows they need to kill him. He's just taken it. Uh, he's had it up to here with his shit, you know? <laughs> and even Saint, in his estimation, has lied to him repeatedly. You know, they had relations. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But she just pretty much seemed to have sex with him and then throw him to the wolves. So he angrily, as much as he still has the perfect diction, the perfect pitch, and perfect line reading, the sarcasm, the rage, the thinly veiled contempt that he feels for her. And he starts insulting her and just ragging on her. And James Mason and Martin Landau are playing it perfectly because they realize, that, wait a minute, he's saying shit that does not make her look particularly good for our purposes either. So he insults her. And she starts tearing up, and she turns around as if to slap him. And Carrie does not change expression, and looks at her as if he is Sean Connery in a James Bond film of the 60s. 
And there were many people that said that North by Northwest, it gave ideas to Ian Fleming, you know, who wrote the James Bond novels. But there were huge chunks of this movie that played like a James Bond film. This is not a coincidence. But as Eva Marie Saint starts to cry, and maybe she's pretend crying, because she certainly put on a hell of a performance for him, throwing her whole body into her work, if you get my drift. She goes to slap him. Carrie just puts his hand up without changing expression, goes, who are you kidding? You have no feelings to hurt. And it is such a cold line reading from a normally warm and funny and gracious actor. And it is an absolutely cold as fuck line reading. He pulls it off, just as he had previously pulled off comedic scenes not that long before this, shifting the balance back and forth between the serious and the not so serious. And throughout the movie, we know where Cary Grant's loyalties are. We know that he has been manipulated, that he has been fucked with. The movie doesn't make it seem, well, is he really George Kaplan? No. The thing with Alfred Hitchcock, he wasn't, he wasn't called a master of suspense by accident. He was not called the master of surprise. Alfred Hitchcock was called the master of suspense. And the easiest way to explain the difference Hitch once told a story where he said, let's say for argument's sake, James Stewart and Doris Day, those were two of his favorite actors, but he worked with them in, in the remake that he did two versions of The Man Who Knew Too Much. You know, it's kind of funny, Steven Spielberg getting involved in projects that he had already done. Alfred Hitchcock made The Man Who Knew Too Much when he was still working in England, and then he redid it 20 years later in the United States. Now, most purists and people such as me, not that I'm a purist, but I am a historian, would consider the 1930s version of The Man Who Knew Too Much to be a better film. Hitchcock loved James Stewart and what Doris Day was able to do, and he prefers that one. But in that, think about James Stewart and Doris Day and Hitchcock's suspense versus surprise dichotomy and theory. He said if James Stewart and Doris Day are in a restaurant together and a bomb goes off, boom, that's a surprise. Comes out of nowhere. If they're sitting in that same restaurant and we see that a bomb is going to go off, that's suspense. And in North by Northwest, we know who Roger Thornhill is. We are introduced to him. The movie plays fair with his character. We know from very early in the story, spoiler alert, George Kaplan is a fictitious construct. He is a dummy agent, a fake FBI, CIA, OSI, alphabet soup, government guy, put in, put in play, even though there is no in play, but the name is put in play, and they, there's the theory of an agent, and they create a narrative that this guy has been working for them and working against James Mason, who believes, well, yeah, this is a real guy. But we know very early in the film there is no real guy. It's just Roger Thornhill. And when he accidentally gets mistaken for the George Kaplan that doesn't exist, sorry. And it's the kind of scene that most filmmakers would not include. But Alfred Hitchcock gave zero fucks. Sometimes he would handhold the audience, and other times he would deliberately withhold information. In North by Northwest, he did the same thing in a different context in Vertigo where he basically gives away the mystery halfway through. 
But in North by Northwest, we get a scene where the alphabet soups themselves are discussing George Kaplan, who doesn't exist. Well, what do you mean? Well, he's one of our people. What do you mean he's one of our people? I mean, he's one of our fake people. What the fuck is it? What the hell are you talking? We learn early in the film, there's no George Kaplan. This guy's on his own. And he's probably going to be assassinated pretty soon. Sorry, Mr. Thornhill. Nice knowing you, wherever you are. And Carrie doesn't know this. The audience knows it. And that builds the suspense. Because when he goes on what appears to be a suicide mission sent by Eva, Marine's, uh, Eva Marie Saint's character as, as Kendall, we know that he's going to a meet to nowhere. If we hadn't gotten that information, he's like, well, I'm going to go meet George Kaplan. Well, we could kind of root for him, say, okay. She's setting up a meeting. He's going to meet the guy, George Kaplan, and we're going to straighten this out finally. And then I don't know what exactly that would do, but we think it's going to do something. There is no Kaplan, and we know that he's going to a meeting. We know that she's working, or we think she's working for the bad guys. This isn't going to end well, but it builds the suspense. And that leads to the crop dusting sequence, which to this day is one of the most well-orchestrated and one of the most iconic action scenes in the history of movies. I mean, it's so good that animated series have done takeoffs on it, right? Family Guy. If you're a big Family Guy fan, there's an episode where Peter Griffin is running away from a crop-dusting plane. Now, Seth MacFarlane is obviously a genius and a brilliant creator and has a ton of great ideas. But he got that from North by Northwest. He didn't create that for Family Guy. People like me, we see that and we go, oh, shit, look at that, North by Northwest. The most younger people, when they do a Shawshank reference, oh, yeah, that's, he's supposed to be Andy Dufresne. Andy Dufresne. Carrie's performance never wavers. It just slowly, his character turns from meek, weak, put upon, manipulated, reactive, to active. And he reaches a point where he doesn't want to work with any of the alphabet soup. He doesn't want to work with any of these people. Fuck you guys. You guys ruined my life. And they're asking, we need you to continue to pretend to be George Kaplan. And he basically says, fuck you. But when he realizes why George Kaplan was created, he can't just walk away. The hero's journey is that this laid back ad man, this guy who really hasn't taken life as seriously as he should have. And I think Carrie was playing younger. I believe that Thornhill is probably supposed to be in his early to mid-40s, and Carrie was already in his, uh, what was it, 52 or 53 at the time, maybe 54. But he hasn't taken anything that seriously. He's just a sort of quick, dashing businessman, a guy who uh, is not above overindulging in alcohol or whatever it might be. But he is a hero. And his hero's journey is when he can't just walk away, they're not going to arrest him. They know he didn't commit these murders. They're not going to pin him with anything. But when he realizes that this woman who he thought was treacherous was in fact not treacherous, he can't just walk away. He has to try to help her at great risk, knowing that he might not come back. They might both end up dead. But he has to step up to the plate and try to fix this, even though it's not his problem. 
He blundered into it simply by raising his hand at the wrong time, in the wrong place, with the wrong people looking. And the movie is as simple as that, right? Remember the movie Identity Thief and so many different movies where mistaken identity, often it's a murder, a murder case, like Alfred Hitchcock's The Wrong Man with uh, Henry Fonda, another iconic performer. Sometimes one person just gets mistaken for another. And the entire plot of North by Northwest is set in motion by Cary Grant simply going like this at a precise moment in time. So with all of what happens to Roger O. Thornhill, actually his George Captain, Mr. Captain, Van Damme, that's the name of the character, like Jean-Claude Van Damme, the bad guy, Bill Van Damme, played by James Mason. Just the way he says, Mr. Captain, Mr. Captain, Mr. Captain. One incredible line reading after another from James Mason. The movie ends and kind of climaxes at what's supposed to be Mount Rushmore. And the original title, and Alfred Hitchcock was a kind of personality who liked to do this. I don't know if he really intended the movie to be released with this title. This is the kind of stuff that's now lost to history because nobody was tweeting anything. There was no social media in 1958-59. But the original title of North by Northwest was The Man in Lincoln's Nose. Now, out of context, that is maybe the stupidest fucking title in history, The Man in Lincoln's Nose. But when you watch the movie, and there's a scene in the film where one of the characters is on Mount Rushmore hanging from Lincoln's nose. What a great way to get a title. But for marketing purposes, for historical, the historical imperative, North by Northwest is a better title than The Man in Lincoln's Nose. But Cary Grant, the New York City ad man, doesn't really give a shit about much other than maybe the ladies, his ex-wives, his bartenders, and whoever he might be having a martini lunch with on a given day, rises and rises and rises. And somehow, almost kicking and screaming, outsmarts everybody and pulls off a series of James Bond level, you know, like James Bond level daring do to slay the dragon, save the day, get the girl. Everything that James Bond ever did. Cary Grant. And, you know, they can't, you can't relitigate the 1959 Academy Awards or 1960 Academy Awards. All we have is the history of this extraordinary performer the greatest star Hollywood's ever had, and what I consider to be his greatest film performance. And what amounts to a dual role, even though he's, we know he's one guy, this isn't you know, Jim Carrey playing Andy Kaufman and also Tony Clifton. This is Cary Grant playing Roger O. Thornhill, but for huge chunks of the film, because everybody is convinced that he's George Kaplan, he has to pretend to be another character. So it's a dual role. And yesterday, my first foray into the most underrated performances, in my opinion, Kevin Klein played a dual role, which was literal. President of the United States, Bill Mitchell. CPA regular schnook, Dave Kobin. Carrie's performance is just as good as Klein's brilliant acting in Dave. And he didn't get nominated for Oscar. That was an unbelievably stacked year. But there is no excuse for Cary Grant to not get nominated for North by Northwest. Just that he's so good, but he was expected to be that in every even in lesser films, in Hitchcock's To Catch a Thief, which is entertaining. It's a fun movie. Hey, to see Cary Grant tangled with Grace Kelly, worth the price of admission. And a mystery, you're not really sure who's the thief and all that. It is a lesser film 
in the Hitchcock canon. Far lesser. But even in a movie like that, Carrie is dynamite. He's dynamite. And that's a lighter, even though there are the Mr. Thriller elements, it's a lighter film than North by Northwest. From several years earlier, Carrie was, he may not have actually even been 50. If he was, he was just 50. But North by Northwest is my favorite Hitchcock film to watch. If you ask me, you have to watch a Hitchcock film right now, North by Northwest. Close second, Rear Window. Third would be Psycho. Fourth would probably be The Birds. And fifth, I'll say Vertigo just because of its historical importance. Underrated, most underrated performance. Number two, and this is not in any order. I'm not saying that Kevin Klein was the greatest underrated performance. I'm just giving him a number because the first one I did was Kevin Klein and the second one I did is Cary Grant. Cary Grant in Alfred Hitchcock's 1959 classic, which is readily available on streaming on a number of platforms. It's free on a few. Just, you know, Google it, whatever. Cary Grant as Roger O. Thornhill, New York City advertising executive. Mistaken for super spy, globe-trotting, double-O, no, it's not a double-O, George Kaplan. Not a very exciting name for a spy. But he's mistaken for George Kaplan. And madcap, crazy, thriller, suspense, action, antics, and soup. Cary Grant, the greatest movie star Hollywood's ever had. My number two most underrated performance. And with that, we've reached the conclusion of episode 98, wow, of the Confessions of a Not-So-Dangerous Mind podcast. I'd like to thank you all for spending some of your Saturday evening here with me.